Good day, good evening, and good streaming. I am Jello Biafra, and this is Renegade Roundtable. And we are here with a firebrand disability rights activist who is also the architect, the main one, of one of the most bizarre and unclassifiable hip-hop outfits I have ever heard in my life called Wheelchair Sports Camp. So without further ado, Denver, Colorado's own, uh, maybe not public enemy number one of all that is idiotic and city government and beyond, but one of them, sir. Uh, meet Kalen Heffernan. Bruh, bruh, bruh. Pew, 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 pew. Hey. <laughs> so welcome to Renegade Roundtable. It's an honor to have you on and an honor that we are putting out just about the first vinyl in the history of wheelchair sports camp. Yes, it's product placement time. A uh, seven inch called I'm a Mess. And, and with its hard out there being a or its hard time out there being a gimp on the B side, we will get to that. But to begin at the beginning here, what created you? What created me? Hey, Jello, thanks for having me. It's good to see you on the screen. Um, what created Likewise. me? Um, two wacko parents that um were probably real intoxicated and partying and having a good time. Uh, created me in 1987, represent. Yeah, I've been rapping since I can remember, probably since I was five, uh, definitely since I was five, uh, maybe a little wow. before then, but yeah. So, so, you know, as we got to know each other, you at one point said you knew as little about punk as I did about hip hop, <laughs> and obviously, you were, you know, way, way hip hop. You know, maybe not quite all hip hop all the time, but um, very early on, that is your thing. Yeah, I got pretty into rap music at a really young age and being an only child and an only disabled child that spent a lot of time alone. Um, rap music was my thing. Rap music was my love. Uh, and it was really just mine. A lot of the people around me weren't really influencing it as much as, like, I found it on the radio. No one else cared about it as much as I did and just got fixated. Uh -huh. So you talk about growing up alone a lot and, of course, growing up disabled and not just... Uh, I don't want to say a normal disability, but you have a very specific situation that you were born with. I do. I'm on the I'm on the rare disease list for uh, osteogenesis imperfecta, which is basically brittle bones. And uh, yeah, I was born with it. Neither of my parents have it. I'm pretty tiny and use have used a power chair since I was five and have a manual chair that's easier to travel in um yeah broken a lot of bones had a lot of surgeries how many bones dare i ask you can but it's it's definitely out of out of proof there's uh, way over a hundred i don't uh i think my oh. parents stopped counting oh. when i was a baby and i had like 25 i was born when they found out that i had the disability i already had like 25 fractures and that was only three oh months God. so yeah Oof. 
a lot. I mean, to correct one common myth, even of people who know you, you are not paralyzed. I am not paralyzed. You can stand up and walk around a bit. Yeah, I can can move my limbs unless they're broken and casted. Right. Yeah, is that a myth that I'm paralyzed? Is the myth now that I am a paralyzed person? People got to come up with better myths. Common assumption of anybody who uses a wheelchair, especially oh, okay. a motorized chair, that there's, you know, that there's not a lot down there that works. Yeah. But okay. it sounds like everything works with you. It's just, uh, it's the brittle bones that does what it does. Do you feel them every time they break or not? Uh, good question. I'm, I'm aging. I'm 36 now. So the way my body <laughs> is reacting to broken bones is actually quite a bit different. And it's something I've been dealing with the last like year, specifically like this past winter. Um, Typically, yeah, I feel it if I have a like, usually I break like during impact or like falling or being reckless. Like there's some kind of trauma. I don't just like break hanging, you know, sitting down. But now weather is affecting me. It's been like a really brutal winter here in Denver. And uh, yeah, I got so many old breaks that they start to creep back up as new breaks um so yeah i've been i've been really lucky to like not have a lot of chronic pain um in between being broken and i as as a youngster i would i would heal really quickly like i broke all the time but i healed all the time the older i get i I break less, but they take much longer to heal. So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I can feel some broke. I can feel some broken femurs right now. <laughs> oh my god! Ooh, are they gonna have to be cast, or is he just gonna leave them that way and hope they grow uh, back together? I mean, they're like they're not freshly broken. They're old breaks. Oh my. But yeah, as a kid, I grew up a lot in uh, spica casts, which I don't even think they put children in them anymore because they're pretty torturous. But it's like a full body cast up to my up to my chest, um, almost up to my armpit. So my my arms were free, my head, but my legs were like vertical and uh, spread apart, and there was like a bar in between my legs. And this is like back in the plaster days, so they were heavy also. So I was just like a starfish oh hanging out in a wagon every six months. Well, I'm glad you were able to get a motorized chair that young. I don't get the impression that your parents had a lot of money. Yeah. Um, there was they, they've always been like pretty working class people. Like they've always been separated, but... A, big supporters of me and my dad's a union iron worker so actually had decent insurance through that and my mom skated the poverty line so when things when there were big medical bills like a new surgery or a new wheelchair we could usually qualify for like some assistance on top of my dad's insurance so yeah no I've never paid for a wheelchair (laughs) 
they are very expensive, <laughs> like so expensive. Well, one of one of my favorite lines in the Gimp song is "My wheelchair costs more than your sports car." Yeah, I've never <laughs> bought a sports car, but I'm pretty sure you I could get it. Do with one. Yeah, I'm sure you could get one for the amount of money I spend, and they only last like five years. I run my power chairs to the ground i put a lot of miles on it and uh <laughs> yeah i can only qualify for a new one every five years and and to get around the rest of denver do you have people you know specialized vehicles come pick you up you don't go really long distances in your chair do you yeah uh i actually drive again um i drove since i was 16 so i have a van that's fitted um, I used to drive in my chair, but now I drive in a regular car chair and like transfer into it and it goes up all like a cyborg. It's it's a really gross uh, market, though, the vehicles for people with disabilities. It's actually really only fitted for for people who are like, well, not only fitted, but it's mostly fitted for normal sized people who are paralyzed. Um Paris yeah or spinal cord injury folks um so us little us little people can't really get vehicles like we used to and you know just like the wheelchair industry everything's conglomerated and monopolized and controlled so yeah it's bullshit it's fucked up there's not enough money in it because we don't make very many of them therefore we won't make any at all yeah and none of the motherfuckers that design the shit for us are actually disabled themselves <laughs> it's pretty uh, it's a it's a small little circle that you have to like navigate through and as a little person is sci- does science classify you as dwarf or midget or neither? Yeah, I don't think I think the people threw away the word midget. Um, I don't think we use that term anymore, unless it's yeah, that's retired that word. And um, actually, yeah, my my disability is on the dwarfism list, which is a long list of uh-huh. different disabilities that qualify under dwarfism which i didn't know until a couple years ago so that's what's up Uh uh-huh but none of this has stopped you from being one hell of a tornado of activities over the years both (laughs) as an activist and as a creative artist even do some of your own album cd covers and things and um you also list uh, on a bio as you are a music production teacher, mm-hmm. which implies major recording studio skills as well. I did go to college for recording uh, recording engineering, uh, but I mostly used all of my time and resources in school to learn how to record wheelchair sports camp myself in the band and started yeah bringing in more live musicians and kind of taught myself through that did you always go to regular public schools or did they try to isolate or segregate you yeah good question uh i did go to public schools 
And uh, I did have an IEP, um, which classified me as special ed. But my mom is like a serious uh, loudmouth advocate um, for me. And yeah, so I, I always had class with everybody else. And um, yeah, my mom did have to like fight to make sure that I wasn't segregated um, because that is traditionally what they do with disabled uh, students. But um, yeah, like I went to all regular schools. Um, There was a school here in North Denver that was my home school uh, in elementary and the, the wheelchair entrance was through the side. And so my mom wouldn't let me go to that school because the entrance wasn't the same as the other students and we had to like walk pretty far to to another school that was more accessible my high school was not very accessible um but it was a better high school than my home school um so that was weird they didn't have an elevator i went to lakewood and they they actually got an elevator the year after I graduated. Motherfuckers. <laughs> Partly have you to thank for that as one of the nah. activists who forced the Disabilities Act. Nah, direct wish. action, including a lot of Denver, which we'll get to later. And and your your drummer in wheelchair sports camp, Greg, is it Zimba? Zimba? How do you pronounce his last name? Zimba. Zimba. kind of like blended all together. Yeah, he remembers encountering you at a little local, I guess, punk band show at the Wheat Ridge Colorado Teen Center when you were both middle school age. Yeah, yeah. We've been to quite a few shows like at the same time before knowing each other um but that one in particular yeah I was there because my cousins maybe were friends with the band and Greg remembers the lead singer like saying some shitty joke about moshing and like that's how that's how like I got disabled basically was from moshing at the last show which I don't remember that but Greg remembers being appalled and then I was hanging out with the band after. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah there is a, a wheelchair user who comes to our shows in uh, Geneva in Switzerland. I believe he's a paralysis victim, manual chair, and he rolls right off the stage into the crowd. And they all I do know like to him get, and make sure. Go ahead. I like to I, I like to get carried on the stage. But it has um it has backfired on me. One time at a CD release, uh, I had some buff naked boys carrying me on stage and one of them like flipped my chair weird I don't know but I fell but luckily like they caught me in air it was it was quite the night almost almost was the end for me and my little brittleness but I I do I I do like getting carried um I wouldn't trust like a regular crowd to carry me but like you know especially yeah, I have I have some girlfriends that carry me a lot. My security detail, the rare birds. So like I trust I trust them to get me safely. And there are, are they all fully able bodied or some of them not all able bodied? Well, depends what you define as able, but uh, <laughs> they're they're yeah. physic they're physically fit. They're physically fly. They're buff. There you go. Speaking of fly, 
I've noticed that you run your wheelchair with your phone and not a <laughs> joystick or buttons on the actual armrest or anything. No, no, I use the I use a joystick, but I do usually have my phone in my hand. It's not a phone. Oh, but that's for everything else. Yeah, it's not a phone. <laughs> nah, it's a what joystick. It? I'll show you. Okay. Well, then the. Oh, here you we see go. that? It's also a yeah, paint. Yeah. My joy my joystick has become a paint palette and a holder of masks. It also has a hair tie around the the spongy thing. That's my joystick. All right. It go, it's got yeah. buttons, it's got lights. Does it have a name or a gender? Uh, no, no. They don't last long enough to get either of those. <laughs> no sentimental attachment. Okay, I mean, we first met when a good mutual friend of both of ours, Mark Bliesner, who among other things dates clear back to the OG Colorado punk scene before I moved west and eventually started Dead Kennedys. And he, I was after hours at the Wax Tracks vinyl store checking out weird records and stuff. And Dave Wilkins was there putting up with me before it was time for him to go home. And uh, in you came... And quickly let, let me know kind of what you were about. You gave me a wheelchair sports camp CD and then mentioned what you did to Senator Cory Gardner's office. <laughs> and that was what really broke even more of the ice. Oh, my God, this is somebody to know. Who is this person? This is wild. Yeah, I guess I had just done that action. Did I just... Did I? So that must have been after? Yeah, yeah. I think it might have been a while after because it sounds like it was in in June or something. And um, that I was probably visiting over the holidays in the winter, maybe. I don't know. But um, anyway, tell us about what you and the other people from ADAPT, and we'll need to know what ADAPT is, what you did to that rising Tea Party darling, Senator Cory Gardner's office. Oh, Gardner. Yeah, um, all the Republicans were trying to take away Medicaid, um, and there was a big action in D.C., bunch of members of ADAPT um, protest groups started here, actually in Denver, um, were... Blocking the floor, uh, Senate, Congress, I don't know, one of them. It, federal Committee D.C. Here. stuff and uh, getting arrested um, about a couple days later, maybe that week. The week after, I, I saw a post from somebody about Denver about to do an action. Um, and I had been kind of trying to get involved with ADAPT for a long time up and, up until this point. And hadn't done any actions with them and found the person and was like, hey, what's going on? What's And she was like, can you get arrested? And I was like, yeah. And I've been to hella actions. Um, not a lot of disability up until this moment. Most of my, most of my like advocacy, like activism stuff was around all kinds of other stuff and not disability related. So, um, yeah, and I've never been one of those activists that just gets like arrested at every action. Um, even though I got some beautiful friends who that is their role, um, in the revolution is getting arrested all the time and clogging up the system. But, um, yeah, I just knew instantly that like this was something I would get arrested for and would make sense. Um, to get arrested 
obviously it's quite a spectacle to see a lot of disabled people being drugged from their wheelchairs, um, kind of cashing in some some pity points or like charity models. You know, you see disability always represented in this like inspirational, oh God, if they can do it, anyone can. So it really is an effective tool around sit-ins and direct actions. It it makes the press right away, you know. It's it's a it's a spectacle to watch people with disabilities get violently arrested. So um, they had been doing it for you know a lot thirty plus years, fifty years, shit. Um, nineteen seventy five, nineteen seventy eight. So oh god, that's like a lot more years. <laughs> So yeah, I was just lucky. Yeah, I was lucky to to get get in with them, and uh, we went into Corey Gardner's office, who was our Colorado guy at the time, senator from uh, the farmland, Colorado, and uh, he's a bitch ass Republican. He's a coke head hangs with the Koch brothers. Yeah, he's a bitch. Not a good one. Yeah, he was kind of, you know, a plant and kind of designed and, yeah, I'm going to use that word they use now, groomed by yeah. the Koch brothers and others who are now, they're down to one main Koch head, but the next generation of Koch, K-O-C-H, are apparently just as evil as the other ones. Gee, what a surprise. And so when yeah. when the, the 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 more arrests there are, the more it likely it is to get covered. Right. Number one is what I've learned and stuff. And um number two, uh, obviously adapt and uh and you folks with this and others and the people in D.C. who crashed the committee hearing um, where they're trying to, you know, we're going to get rid of Obamacare once and for yeah. all, pointing out that, you know, you know, there's all kinds of us who are going to die if we lose our Medicare. And I think exactly. you even said, you know, I would rather go to jail than die because I can't get Medicare. That's what we're, right. what this is up against. Yeah. And the the and and the fact that it was that flamboyant and you got a hold of the uh, the press which adapt is very good at doing to make sure it got on the news that this was going on which was part of the battle and may have been a major part of the fact that John McCain you know got up off his deathbed and flew into Washington and I believe that was the round where they killed tried to kill Obamacare where his vote killed their bill in the right. Senate, and they thought he was going to vote the other way. And yeah, I thought I can't help but think that- he was needing all kinds of health shit too at the time. So I'm sure that you know opened his heart a little bit um, to to he what it really, really takes. Ever had one. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, we I mean, we got into his office, Corey Gardner's. His office at the time was in a Chase Bank building downtown. So it's a private building, about five of us power wheelchairs, maybe. There were about eight of us total got into the office, um, and we didn't leave for three days, like 90 hours about. They first didn't let us have access to the bathroom, and then, um, but they were like allowing attendant care to come in and out because a lot of the people in the sit-in relied on at-home independent care, which if they got Medicaid, that's the first thing that's going to go. 
um, which is at-home community care so that, you know, you're not forced to live in a nursing home if you need help showering or if you need help eating, et cetera, et cetera. So um, they were allowing attendants to come in and out. And, you know, the Bay Area has, like, paved the way for this kind of action. They did the longest sit-in ever um, in San Francisco. So um, the attendant cares were actually bringing in and out supplies and figuring out port-a-potty situations. And uh, I, I did get to piss in his office in a trash can. And then, and then, and then they unlocked the bathrooms eventually. Um, and it took them about three days to figure out how the hell they were going to arrest all of us. Um, and yeah, I'm a press whore too, you know, like I was already sending press releases and, um, I had some good contacts at the time. So, and I was like going live and being a little more, you know, goofy flamboyant as you would call it than some of the other, like, radical organizer um, lawyers. I was in the office with um, some really amazing people who just taught me so much. Um, And, yeah, like, really taught me my hometown history that I sadly never learned in school. I sadly never learned doing 20 years of actions and advocacy and activism like I didn't know shit about the disability movement here in Denver and how you know outside of the bay we were we were like one of the other epicenters of of making things more accessible for the rest of the country. You also emerged pretty quickly at least in the media I saw as one of the front and center spokespeople for the whole protest and, and got uh, national coverage on Democracy Now with Amy Goodman and uh Yeah, it was like really fitting cuz I already wrote the song that's hard out here for a gimp. So, you know, I already had the soundtrack. Uh many of these women I was in the office with didn't know about my music um, until I got in there, and and so yeah, I I had a I had a anthem for the same type of shit. I actually wrote a diss track, um, Corey Gardner diss track too, and when we did get out of jail, because um, we tried to we finally got like a, a phone call with him, and he was still just a fucking punk and. Uh, you know, what do rappers do when they're really no, no, off? Don't, don't, don't put punks down for the old slang for the word. I know. Oh my God. I know. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Wrong audience. Uh, but, yeah, we, you know, I, me and Greg went into the studio and stayed up till like, 4 in the morning cutting the track. And so then I had that song to, like, rap at every protest and, what, you know, whatever kind of showcase we were, we were doing around this like big fight to to keep our Medicaid. Right. And now we can actually insert that song right here. Hey, Mr. Politician Man, I saw you on the news talking about us, acting like you give a fuck. <laughs> All right. I'm gonna be free someday. I'm gonna be free to go just where I please. When I wanna go. They wanna lock me in a closet, wanna lock me in a box, wanna kick me out 
with the oxen, profit off my death and what? Cancel all our toys, put us all away, never see us anymore, and never have to pay, and that's okay. Well, we ain't gonna lay down without a fucking riot. We don't need to eat, we can use your diet. We don't need to stand, we'll sit in. Try it, we don't need a man. All rub on that pizza, we decided. It's a slumber party at the senators, you're invited. We ain't leaving, we got shit to say. And now we are back with uh, Kaylin Heffernan, and that was her track about the now ejected Senator Cory Gardner from Colorado. He got replaced by John Hickenlooper. But at the time you did this, Gardner was riding high. He was mostly out-of-state money from all the usual, you know, right-wing wannabe Nazi suspects who who got him in in the first place, but he was considered a rising national star and people thought he was cute looking, although some of us thought he was pretty damn untrustworthy looking just from the, I know that's stereotyping, but my God, you know what I'm talking about. And, but he also then became known eventually, and I think it was around this issue for being afraid to come back home to Colorado and mm-hmm. face his own constituents over trying to kill Obamacare. I don't know whether that got out after your protest or be, because of your protest, or it was already known that Gardner was too chicken shit to set foot in his own state because people hated him so much. Yeah, I mean, the guy is like super right, you know, and super Republican and super funded by these terrible oligarchs, you know. So there has always been people, you know, putting red flags out of the, and like plenty of people not voting for this ass fuck. Um, but I, I do believe that that action got, you know, the most attention against Cory Gardner. There was also a lot of attention after it was after um the medicaid sit-ins but then around guns because um one of the many high school guns uh happened shootings happened and there was like a big um big organization of of youth leaders emma what was her name uh gonzalez you know what i'm talking about Anyway, there was a bunch of youth coming out um, to put some gun policies in place. And and when I went to some of those actions, like, yeah, everybody hated Gardner 
like the popularity of hating Gardner continued to rise. And there was also another group, which I think they, I'm actually pretty sure, yeah, they were already going when the Medicaid sit-ins um, happened, but there was the Cardboard Corey uh, team, which brought co- cardboard cutout of Corey Gardner all over the state because, like you said, he was pretty impossible to track down in real life unless you were at these, like, extremely expensive Coke um, conferences. One of the weekends, or maybe the weekend we were at his office, um, yeah, he was at he was at a Coke um, conference in Colorado Springs where it was like $20,000 a seat. As if they needed the money. Right. Yeah, I wonder how many of these people, once they get to D.C., and then if they're voted out, they just stay there and become lobbyists for uh, the usual suspects and um, from military contractors, tech companies, big pharma, you name it. But they have to maintain their voting address somewhere in their home state. And one of the worst people connected with Trump, that last chief of staff, Mark Meadows, who if there's any justice in the world, he's going to be in prison in this time next year. He, among other things, while they're bitching about vote fraud, turned out he had three different addresses, something like that, that where he's registered to vote. But the main one that he called his main address turned out to be in a trailer park mm. and the trailer was empty and nobody was living there. I wouldn't, that wouldn't surprise you if Gardner was one of the same people like that. And but, um, of course he was ejected the next time he came up for the election. Yeah. And maybe one thing, and this was in Westward, the local weekly, and I don't know if this hit the Denver Post, the daily paper, but there's a great headline from this protest partway through <coughs> wheelchair sports camp a sit-in almost turned into a shit-in mm-hmm. at Corey Gardner's office. Yeah. Again, with you making a hilarious face front and center, pointing out that they were denying you, le- denying letting you use the bathroom, hoping that would get everybody to get up and go use the bathroom and do what they need to do. And people didn't. So all of a sudden, what were they? Were, 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 were there like um, catheter stuff and leg bags that said diapers in there for some people who used that and they were piling up until Gardner's people finally threw up their hands and relented to uh you know quit stinking up their own office through their inaction yeah once the bucket came in with the with the toilet seat on it uh they let us into the bathroom but i did get to piss (laughs) Uh, in the wastebasket. <laughs> There's another westward one. I want the other one. Well, we might, we might not even have to pull that one up. But the, the day after that article appeared was the day you were arrested after a 58-hour sit-in. And then that was straight to another 30 hours in jail. I mean, yeah. that that that's a, that's a tough thing for anybody for protests yeah, worst, of this nature and direct action. Yeah, the worst part about it was we were most, most of those 30 hours we were in holding or like in the waiting area, which is worse than Ooh. getting your own cell. Yeah, I think the computer system went down and uh, the processing... Oh, really? Yeah, so processing was, was like thirty hours backed up. It was it was miserable. Oh, you had me scared for a minute that our computer system went down. Hooray, we're still here. <laughs> no, no, no. This was Denver County Jail. 
Um, but we had yeah, hella people thing. trying to get us out, and there was like a crowd outside the whole time. So shit, when I got out of jail, it was like a big party. There were like hundreds of people <laughs> celebrating us when we got out. It was awesome. And and that's an important point of uh, activism and protest is it isn't all nonstop drudgery. I mean, it can be gratifying. It's hard work, but it's not as though everything is just, oh, we hate the pro- the fascist pigs beating up on the proletariat. And you know what we're going to do about it? We're going to have meetings. God damn it. You know, I love pranks. I love direct actions. And this was uh, <laughs> not your only real good one either. So uh, well, it's also just like a reminder too, especially for me, like coming into my 30s and doing that action was like, yeah, it really doesn't take a lot of people to shut shit down. You know, there was only eight of us, nine of us. It, I don't know, direct actions work, you know, sit-ins work, uh, civil disobedience, like, works, you know, especially if it's coordinated, especially if it's organized, like, it's really, it really is possible. I mean, if we all just shut shit down, it would only take 12 days of a general strike to really, like, destroy everything, you know, like, it's... It is doable, and it, is, it's rewarding. Which is why shit. corporate McNews doesn't like to even admit that general strikes even existed, let right. alone are actually possible. Let alone the there was no small amount of that leading up to the depression and stuff. And then it's happened a little bit since in Seattle and even in Oakland. Not huge, but it it has happened. It is mm-hmm. possible. All you got to do is just. Okay, we're on strike now. Yep. Vancouver, too, a great big one years ago, where a punk band called DOA even had a song for it. Hey, hey, time to unite. Let's have a general strike. Yeah. Yeah. It's, God, I, I can't wait for the next one. It's like so past you. <laughs> And and meanwhile, a year after this protest, when uh, you were, I wouldn't quite say a media darling, but people were paying attention, knew who you were, you ran for mayor of Denver. (laughs) Well, I rolled for mayor of Denver. Yes, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, the British term is is you stood for mayor, but that doesn't entirely apply either. Nope. I sat for mayor, rolled for mayor. Uh, yeah, it was weird, like, doing that, doing that sit-in was, like, the first time people started, like, knowing me and having no clue about my music. (laughs) It was, like, some, I, I got recognized at a music, a local music festival as, like, that activist, that famous activist. So, like, things were, things shifted for sure in my, like, I I don't know, public figure and and it was like you know rap rap music like is i think you know a lot responsible for me being who i am and and getting out to protest even in like middle school and high school caring you know a little bit more than the rest of my class but then things started to shift where yeah i was like just as known for that as I was 
for making music my whole life. <laughs> and you did one hell of a campaign advertisement or video or an announcement for the mayor campaign, yeah. including uh, rolling up to the steps of City Hall and throwing up your hands in disgust, looking at all those stairs. I can't work here. Yeah, I, 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 well, it was a hard sell for me to put my name in the race like officially because I knew the amount of work it would take. I, I knew, yeah, I just knew it was going to be a lot. <laughs> and holy shit, it was. But I did agree to making the video, putting it out on April Fool's Day. Yeah, I was really inspired by some performance friends in Albuquerque who who do performance art and yeah i love the idea of like is she is she serious is she not like is this happening and i thought i could just like weigh on it for a while and like if i wanted if i really wanted to get in the race i could but like if not it still was a fun video to make and like a prank to pull um yeah I leave people guessing but I found out after publishing it that I only had seven days. Like, I only had a week to officially declare. And I just, I knew, like, I wasn't going to be, I, I knew the platform, like, couldn't go much further if, if like, I couldn't do the debates, you know? Like, if I wasn't on the ballot, like, I probably wouldn't have gone that hard. <laughs> you were on the ballot though weren't you oh yeah so like that was the thing we were on tour and heading back from albuquerque and it was really like the guys's idea in the band um and they it was like this long-running joke and then it was like you gotta run and it was like i'm never gonna run and they're like that's the that's the slogan you know that's it and after, yeah, after the sit-in, like, I I did have a lot more people saying, will you run for city council? Will you run for mayor? And that was always the easy answer. It was like, I'm never going to run for anything. Um, so, no. But... So, in other words, <laughs> you didn't run for city council in the next one out of fear you might get elected? Uh, not even. I mean, yeah, I can't. I don't think I'm built for that kind of job. I'm definitely not built for that kind of theater either. Yeah, get like really putting myself in putting ourselves like in in there so intimately like really reaffirmed all of my beliefs that, you know, the the government is operating exactly the way it was built to and that's to keep people like us out. And it sucks, you know? It's like this really gross pocket of, event. like, none of the events have food or music or colors on the walls or colors on your clothes. I mean, it's, like, really a sterile, inaccessible environment that is designed to be soul-sucking, so... It's, it's... Well, you could bring some of that in if you ever tried it again. Um, the, 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 the rest of the video 
you know, some of your security detail lifts you partway up all those steps. And then there's a cardboard box with your Kalen for Mayor logo on it. And you gave a campaign speech, a short one with dubbed in throngs cheering for you and stuff. But as much as the thing might, might have been a prank or a joke. The other side of doing stuff like this, and I ran for mayor two once, as you probably know, and when I was asked whether my campaign was a joke on the TV show, I said, well, it's no more or less a joke than the other candidates, exactly. including Mayor Feinstein, Diane Feinstein. Exactly. But the point I'm making is, is the, the points you made, your campaign platform, it barely, it was radical in the eyes of corporate government but everything you were saying was making perfect sense. You know, Bernie Sanders level sense and hmm. very articulate and not rambling on like I often do and just make it your points. What were some of the main points in your platform? Yeah, I mean, that was the weird thing is like, I, you know, I have this sense of humor. Like, obviously, there was a prank involved. I had a mustache drawn on my face every single time. I appeared as the mayor. I wore a costume, a mayor costume, you know, but like my platform and like my my talking points were actually answers. They were actually solutions. Like I do take this shit seriously already. Um, right. And I am involved in like so many different like groups and crews around town that are really like doing a lot of radical stuff like now that yeah i i really did like have a platform which was mostly around access you know and access to not just like physical barriers like stairs but you know that was easy um you were moving way beyond that though in terms of yeah. affordable housing rights and not attacking homeless people and access to food access to to housing access to water access to education um access to politics like one of the big things our campaign was doing was making these silly videos of like i can't do this i'm just a rapper and everybody else around me is like sure you can it only takes this document being notarized like sure you can it only takes 300 signatures to get on the ballot sure you can you're already doing all of this stuff so as we were like making these art videos of like art imitating life we were actually spreading the diy ethos of like hey this is actually doable like if you want to do it like here's what you have to do and it's me like i can't do that oh i only have to do this check i only have to do this oh it doesn't cost money to get on the ballot cool like we we were just like using this as a platform to get to kind of break down that barrier alone right like the way everything's worded and like so official like the common folk don't even think that you can do it and i think it's designed to make you feel like you can't do it you know of course it is so yeah it was cool the the platform you know was robust and um instead of like regular mailers and shit we made zines and um instead of paying for politician signs 
we took the We Buy Ugly House signs, the gentrifiers, the the colonizer signs all over town and then repurposed them. We had like a lot of kids parties of like making Caitlin for mayor signs or make signs, whatever like they wanted. Um, there was also like a really big bill on that ballot to which there's been many iterations of it, which is to undo the urban camping ban here in Denver, a modern day ugly law mm-hmm. to criminalize homeless folks. So we were really, really pushing for that almost more than, than the mayor see because it's, yeah, it meant so much. So I was like the only candidate that really like stuck my neck out that hard for, for initiative 300 and, um, I had to do all these debates, which felt like battle, battle raps to me, you know, like I was battling, the, <laughs> battling Mayor Hancock and like next to each other. And yeah, I think I did pretty fucking good. Like, to be honest, a lot of them, I left feeling like, yeah, I won that, you know, like I actually answered questions as opposed to everybody else who's just like skating around the question and um yeah there was one that i i thought like i wasn't quite at my best but for the most part like i yeah i took it seriously and um because it is serious you know and it's a fucking joke it's like a farce so we really went for it we threw a bunch of really cute parties we fed a lot of people we made we built a lot of ramps like the idea was that like hey if we could get some campaign money like some of these other candidates i just imagine what we could do with that money now right instead of like after once i win i can do this it's like shit with the amount of money that people get for their campaigns you could do things like in real time (laughs) you know like you don't have to wait to win to use that money for like cool shit so uh we did that i we didn't ask for money very well so like of the other candidates, you know, it's not like we we brought in a lot, but shit, I think we got, you know, 10 grand or something, like 10 grand, fed a lot of people, <laughs> hosted a lot of parties. Yeah. Um, well, plus you got to bring those ideas in, into these debates that the other people didn't want to talk about, but undoubtedly connect with voters who did want it talked about. I mean, I think that was the original reason Bernie Sanders ran the first time was not because he expected to win, but just to get the debate out there instead of hooray for Hillary and leave it at that, you know, that there needed to be real issues, real discussions. And then my take on it was he had no idea he was going to do as well as he did and then just kept going from there. Yeah, his first campaign... My my friend did the math, my writer friend from the Village Voice and Spin and stuff. Um, she did the math and was like, I think she basically made it out to be like, I got more votes than Bernie on his first campaign because Bernie only ran against like three people or two people. I ran against like six and I did zero canvassing. I did zero calling. <laughs> Uh, I did zero wow. asking for money and we got like 
Almost ten thousand votes. We got a lead. We got a legion of votes. You got almost ten thousand votes. Yeah, I think it was like eight thousand. Well, the way I looked at it was that like it was more than the film auditorium. Uh huh. And uh, and and how, were you were you coming third, fourth, fifth? What? Where'd you? How'd you do? No, I was like it broke down exactly, exactly to the money. So Hancock was first. Uh-huh. He went into a runoff with this developer chick. Hancock, I mean, he probably spent over five million bucks on the first round, and we uh, we did the math. He was paying like forty to fifty dollars a vote, basically. Um, so we wow. were like second to last. I was second to last, or something, because I made second. But to how last. many other candidates were there in total? There were second six. to last. May not be such a bad thing. Yeah, there were six of us. So, um, yeah, it was huge, you know. Like, it's, and uh, I can't imagine like what it would have been if we were like phone banking and canvassing and yeah. you know, like running more volunteer opportunities. Like, we were we were figuring it out as we go, and we were like publishing what we were figuring it out in a very like DIY kind of punk ethos videos, like drunk history vibe, <laughs> me and my mayor mustache. Yeah, it was a trip. Yeah, I like, do like the mustache. And, and we did, uh, I did protest like some of the debates, some of the debates like charged money. So like I hung out outside and like made a bunch of noise. Um, we had a noise action at the end at the Denver Performing Arts Center because they put a lot of money to kill the the homeless. Um, this bill was just only asking for homeless folks to have human rights. It was that basic. Um, and the Denver Performing Arts Center has, put like... Has that ever passed? Not since uh, the urban camping ban no. 12 years ago. Yeah, it did really bad, but all these people were putting all this money into to fighting it. So we did a noise action at the Denver Center of the Performing Arts where we had like hundreds of people come and make noise, whether it be on instruments, whether it be on like noisemakers, shouting. It was like, it was dope. Yeah, we, we caused a ruckus for sure. Good. Well, on that note... We're probably going to hear and see some of these right now. And then after that, tune in next when part two happens. For now, as they say in snotty restaurants, enjoy. Ah, Denver. I love this city so much. So much in fact, everyone's been telling me, Kaylin, you should run for mayor. And I'm like... Don't be an ableist, I don't even walk. And they're like, whatever, sit for mayor. Hancock's gotta go. And they're right, so right. But uh, how the hell am I supposed to work here? Wait, if I'm mayor, can I ban stairs? Wait, if I'm mayor, can I ban assault rifles? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, who else is gonna rally our communities together to make real change like yesterday? 
Yeah, I mean, who else, right? Okay, day one. End the urban camping ban. Ooh. Okay, day two. It's time for Denver to have rent control. Look, we need affordable, accessible housing before these realtors can capitalize on our sunsets. Oh, and what about women? Yes. I do not stand for any of these dudes abusing their power. Women are the majority, and it's about time we occupy the same amount of space and power as all these scumbags. I, Kaylin Rose, do not stand for criminalizing people for being alive, for being houseless or born somewhere else, for being a young person of color or playing music on the 16th Street Mall. I mean, Unless you're part of the 2% of real Native Americans here first, we're all here illegally, and so is this capital, and so is this government. So, vote for me, because I won't stand for any of this shit.